You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. I want to ask you a question. When you wake up in the morning, when the sun shines over the hills, if you are a morning person, the sun is what wakes you up, Uh, or when the sun is high in the sky, if you have a night shift that you work, or you're a little more um, tired than some of us, myself included. I mean, I'm the tired one. Um, If you wait until then, when you wake up and you see the sun's light, you get out of bed, you get dressed or take a shower if that's your routine, when you start brewing your coffee, what is your life about? What is your life about? And I think many of us know an answer. Many of us could give a a good uh, church-appropriate answer for what our life is about. Uh, One of the most famous statements in uh, in Christian history is the primary goal or the chief end of man and woman is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But that's not the answer I'm looking for because even if that is your answer and in your heart of hearts, that is truly what you're aiming for in a big grand scheme of things, in a scope that is beyond your life in the day-to-day. I want to know, or I want you to think about rather, what your goal is in the day. What is your life about? What characterizes it? As you walk from the bed to the shower, as you walk from the bed to the kitchen and out the door, every step that you take, what is it colored by? Is it colored by what you're going to do? Is it colored by what has been said? Or do you check your email first or social media first? Is it colored by your job? What's going to be required of you? Is it colored by your family? Does your family dictate what's going to happen that day? And here's a second question as you consider what your first few steps every morning are about. What do you think when you see your spouse or your kids or your roommate or your friend? What do you think about as you climb into the car and you turn the ignition over and you begin to drive out of your space? As you enter the road and perhaps get on the freeway, what do you think about the other individuals you see in the cars that might be moving too fast or too slow for you? Is life for you the things Or is life the people? Is life for you the things, or is life for you the people? Now, this this, uh, question is going to color what we see in the text this morning, as I've asked it to you intentionally, so that you are thinking about the way you engage life and the things that you are concerned with. Are you concerned with the things or the people? As you get in the car and you see another person driving, do you think, car in my way, or do you think, person, doing what he needs to do to live? As you wake up in the morning and you turn on the coffee pot 
and your wife asks you if you can take out the trash before you leave for work, are you thinking, wife, to whom I have committed my life to love and to serve until death do us part? Or are you thinking, that's not my plan, I want to get to work? And when you're at work, when you're at work and you see somebody else, or when you see a rival business who is trying to uh, gain some of your customers, or when you see that they are making a new headway in a venture that they're uh, beginning, do you see your competitor as a competitor, or do you see it perhaps as someone who is driving business up in the area and the growth of business is good for the people who live here? Is your life about things or people? Because if it's about people, your life is about love. It's about relationship. It's about society. But if your life is about things, well, the people no longer are people. The people are competition. And when we see our life in competition, problems happen. I'm going to read for us the text this morning, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 7. 1 John 2, starting in verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. As we look at this text, a rather short passage, and uh, hopefully a correspondingly short sermon for you, as we look at this passage and we see the commands that are, or the, the text that is written out for us, we're, I think John organizes this passage in, uh, in three major sections, which is all preluded, right? So we're going to talk about something that has happened before, we're going to give you the thesis, what, what we want you to see now, and then I'm going to explain it in three separate ways. So if, if a structure helps you, if organization helps you in your mind, we're going to look at a prelude, a topic sentence or a thesis, and then we're going to look at three sections 
of pairs, of the old and the new. So what is the prelude? What is John, how does John get into this discussion? If you were here last week, you already know the, uh, what Pastor Matt was preaching about and, and um, Christ having died for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world, how, um, how all of the things, all of the darkness, all of the death and destruction that, that filled the world, the, the evil of the world, that when Christ entered in, the darkness did not understand it. And when Christ died his death on the cross, he put an end to all sin, that we, we are recovering sinners. We are simultaneously sinner, and yet we are simultaneously saved, sinner and saint, or sinner and justified. That as we look back at our life, because of the work of Christ, the things that we are about now aren't the same things that they were about. We have seen Jesus. And Jesus, what was he like? He was love. Jesus was love. Yes, Jesus is God, and yes, Jesus is God in human flesh. He came down to earth, but even that is an expression of his love, of his heart toward humanity, of his heart toward all of creation, even of his heart toward the Father as he prepares a bride and says, Father, I have given you everyone you brought into my hand. Love characterized the life of Jesus, and that love is a perfect love, the love that forgives sins, the love that died in our place so that we are no longer characterized or identified or chained to our sin. What is the prelude? The prelude is Jesus himself. The prelude, or how do we get to this place? How do we discuss what we're talking about this morning, which we haven't talked about what it actually is? How do we get to the place where we're going to talk about the things that we're going to talk about? We get to it because Jesus, because Jesus was here. We have seen, we have touched, we have felt, we have known the person of Jesus, the true Messiah. Jesus has come in the flesh, and his life was about love. So, as we look at verse 7, beloved, even our identity is characterized by the love of Christ, beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The beginning for John is more than just the beginning of the world. The beginning for John is Jesus. At the dawn of Jesus, at the coming of Christ, there is a new beginning. And John says, I'm giving you no new commandment, but the old commandment, the same one that you've had since the beginning, since the dawn of Christ. And what is that commandment? As Jesus, after he washed his disciples' feet, he said to them, I give you a new command, love one another. You see, the identity that Jesus gives us, beloved, that we are loved, is not the end of the story, but rather Jesus says, you are beloved, and because you are loved, now love one another. I give you a new command, love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you love the brother. Jesus, in his incarnation, is characterized by love, and after he loves us, or in his loving us, rather, he changes our identity into the beloved, and he says, as beloved, go and love one another. That's how we get to where we're at. 
So what is the topic? What is the thesis for this passage? Verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, in Jesus, and in you, because you have been changed by Jesus, because you have been loved by Jesus. It is true in him, and it's true in you. In other words, John is saying, don't get, uh, don't get bogged down by this. I'm not adding something to the words of Jesus. This is true in Jesus, just as it is true in you, because it is a, it's the flip side of the same coin. What is this new commandment that I'm writing to you? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. I'm not going to tell you what the new commandment is that I'm giving you, but let me set you up for it. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John is stringing us along, not wanting to tell us everything up front. He says, listen, listen, you know what happened from the beginning, the person of Jesus who loved you, and now because he loved you, you are to love one another. I'm not changing that command. The command that I'm about to give you, it's new, but it's part of the same command that you've already received. It's the tales to your quarter. And what is this? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. I'm not going to tell you yet, but here's what you need to know first. The darkness is already passing away, and a new light is dawning. The darkness is already passing away, and a new light is dawning. We might even say because the new light is dawning. Why does darkness fade? Why does the night disappear? Why do the stars hide? It's because the sun comes up. Why does darkness fade? Why do we wake up? Because the sun crusts the horizon. A new light is already shining. A new dawn is already upon us. What is the new command? John doesn't tell us yet. He says, what you need to know first is that dawn has come. The light, the day, is upon us. So what does that mean? What does that mean, to we, do we say to John? He says, darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, whoever says he is in the light, who's part of the day, and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever says he is in the light, whoever says he is part of the day and hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, you say that you have been changed by Christ. You say that the light of Christ dawns on the world and that because of that, you are changed by him. You are forgiven. I am forgiven, not perfect, was the bumper sticker that we modified or added to to properly get a biblical understanding. But here, or and here, John says, he who hates, who says he lives in the light, who's part of the day, but he lives or he hates his brother, is actually still part of the night. He's still asleep. He is still in the darkness, a thief skulking about. If you say you love your brother, but you, or you say you live in the light, but you hate your brother, you continue to live in darkness. And he goes on and he says, whoever loves his brother abides, remains 
dwells or lives in the light. Whoever loves his brother is the one who is truly in the light. The light of Christ has dawned, and because Christ is love, those who are called by his name, those who are called by him, those who are loved by Christ, when they love their brother, then you know that they are truly in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. In him there is no cause for stumbling. Because you live in the daytime, because those of you who love your brother, because you are in the day, you don't, you don't fear stumbling. You don't fear falling down a ditch. You don't fear tripping over yourself in hatred of your brother or in sin. In him, both in Christ, the one who is loved perfectly, and in you, because it's true in you, because it was true in him, in you who love your brother There is no cause, there is no fear of stumbling in the darkness. When you love, as Jesus commanded from the beginning, the old command, when you love, you do not fear sin. When you love and you get up in the morning and you crawl out of your bed and you walk to the shower and you walk to the kitchen and you see your spouse, even if you're not cognizant enough to think of your vows that morning, When you see your spouse, you see a person to love because Christ loved. You don't see somebody in your way. You don't see somebody in your path. When you get to work and you see your competitor, you don't think, my competition, he's in my way. Get out so I can get what I want. Rather, you see a person, a human, created by God, breathed life, breathed into him the image of God so that he might love God and love others just as you are attempting to do. When you see your competition, he is no longer a competitor. If you live in the light, when you look at your competition, you see a brother, or a brother could be, They might not trust Christ. They might still walk in the darkness. But you, because you walk in light, because the light of Christ has dawned and you are part of his life, you are part of his love, you love he who is in the darkness. And just as Jesus was not understood by those who were in the darkness, even so the light of Christ overcomes the darkness. And through love, Christ showed us, all of us who were enemies of Christ, Christ showed us true life and true love. So, what is this command? Oh, we still don't get it yet. But we're starting to get the idea. You see, we know what has happened from the beginning because Jesus has come and a new light has dawned on the earth. And we know that because we live in the light We are supposed to live like Christ who lived in the light, who is light itself, the one who spoke the word, let there be light, and light was created on the earth. There is a new creation happening, and love lives on. The love of Christ in you lives on. So let's look at the next section. Whoever hates his brother 
is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eye. In other words, those who hate their brother, those who look at other people as competition, as, as a stumbling block to themselves, will stumble over them. But it's not in the same way that you might think. It's not because they're getting in your way and taking something that you deserve, something that belongs to you rightfully. But rather, it is like Cain and Abel. I'm sure we all remember Cain and Abel. The first sons, or the only sons listed of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 4. And Abel prepared a sacrifice and brought it to God. And Cain prepared a sacrifice and brought it to God. Each of them bringing what they thought was their best. Even Cain preparing from the garden where God had commanded them first to work. Fill the earth, multiply and subdue it. Garden the earth, take care of it. Cain preparing his sacrifice of the garden's fruits bringing it to God, and God looking at Cain and Abel and honoring the sacrifice of Abel. When Cain goes away angry, God says to him, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to devour you. Sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to devour you. Here is Cain, one who wanted to please the God of the universe. And when he sees Abel, who brings a sacrifice by his side, Abel is not a brother. He's not someone to love. Abel is competition. Abel is the one who steals away what Cain wanted. And so Cain meets Abel in the field, and he kills him. Abel kills, or Cain kills his brother Abel because sin was crouching at the door and it seeks to devour Cain, and so it does. It devours him. You see, the stumbling block that is placed in front of those who hate is a stumbling block they place themselves. It's not the other person. It's not your friend or your brother or your spouse or your child. It's not your competitor or your coworker or your boss or your, um, your employee. It's not any of those people. The people are people. The stumbling block is the sin in your heart that desires to overtake you. Be aware. Sin is crouching at your door and it wants you. But for those who walk in the light, the light of Christ has already dawned and they have no fear of a stumbling block. Those who are in the darkness, in other words, those who still hate, fear the stumbling block. Fear it. After Cain kills Abel, what he thought would bring him life, what he thought would bring him everything that he desired and wanted, the pleasure of God, the uh, pleasure of his parents, the, the society around him to appreciate and honor him, what Cain thought would bring him life brings him death. And we see the genealogies in Genesis. Cain lived X number of years and had a son. And then he lived this many more and he died. His son lived this many years, and then he had a son named Lamech. And Lamech killed a man because he looked at 
him funny. And then he sung a song about it to his two wives. And then that guy lived on, and then he died. And that son lived a certain time, and then he had a son, and then lived on a little bit longer, and then he died. And we see the dwindling number of years that each person lives as death seeks to overtake. But what do we have here? I am writing to you, little children. This is our second section. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then, in a switch of tense, we see, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We were the descendants of Cain. And our lives were characterized by death and darkness. And sin was crouching at our door. But when the light of Christ dawns on the earth, love lives on. For those who are loved by Christ, who then love others... We breed a generation of love and community, not death and despair, not sin and temptation. For those who are loved by Christ, who then go on living in the light and life and love of Jesus, your generations are not characterized by sin and temptation, by it crouching at the door and seeking to devour you, but rather your generation, children, fathers, young men, or women, daughters, young ladies. Your generation is characterized by life and love. Because Cain is no longer our dictator, is no longer our character, but rather the perfect brother, Christ, whose blood is more powerful than that of Abel. And even Abel's cried out from the ground, but rather Jesus is live again. Jesus raised from the dead after he laid down his life for those whom he loved. And because of his love, we are transformed. So we who walk in the love of Christ breed generations, a genealogy, a family of love. Both the old command and the new command Tell us this. And what is the new command? Well, we're finally ready to hear it. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions or the pride of life, depending on your translation, all of these things, they're not from the Father, but they're from the world. And the world is passing away 
along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here we have the flip side of the coin, heads or tails. If it lands heads, love one another. If you flip it again and it lands tails, do not love the world. You see, the point that John is driving home to us is not that the things in the creation, in the created order, are not good. Because, of course, they are. God, who is the source of all good and all life, created everything. And everything he created, he declared, it is good. And sin, although it breaks and corrupts the world, it doesn't remove the goodness that God has imbued in everything he has created. But do not love the world or the things of the world? What are the things of the world? What is the world that we might love? For John, it's darkness. It's death. It's sin. For John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in possession. Those are the things of the world. Notice how none of them are things. None of them are food or spouses or family members or trees. It's the lust. It's the lust of the flesh. It's when you feel the anger bubbling inside you because someone got what you deserved. It's the lust of the eyes when you see something that you can't have. It's the pride in possessions when you finally have what you've wanted all along and you secure it. We remember the commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. Not the old one, not the new one, but the Ten And then we remember Jesus when he spoke on the mount, the sermon, and he said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, don't kill your brother, but I say to you, don't even be angry with him. Don't let the lust of the flesh bubble up within you. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, the purpose of that commandment is that you do not look at anyone with lust or anything. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, what I want but can't have, and the pride in possessions. Do not covet, do not take, but rather share generously. When somebody asks for you to give them a coat, when somebody asks for you to walk with them a mile, walk with them too. Do not hoard for yourselves the things that you have gathered. What are the things of the world? It's not the people. It's not the enjoyment of good things. It's not God's good gifts to humanity, whether they love him or not. What are the things of the world? The things that are passing away. Because the light of Christ has dawned and only love will live on. The old world, the old order is disappearing because light has dawned 
And if you hate your brother because of the things you want instead, because you see what you want with your eyes, because you feel what you want in your gut, because you have what you want and you protect, you are in the darkness. And when the darkness fades, when that which is shadow, when that which is dusk and dark is confronted with the light, that which is in the darkness disappears. The light of Christ has dawned and only love lives on. You have heard the command. It's not a new command. It's the same command you heard from the beginning when Jesus dawned on the earth. Love one another. I give you a new command, but really it's the same command. It's true in him and it's true in you because you are called by his name. Do not love the world. Love one another. Do not love what you can get. Do not love the benefits. Love the person. So when you wake up in the morning and you see your spouse or your children, when you get in the car and you see the drivers, when you get to work and you see your competitors and coworkers, do not love the things you can get for using them. Love them. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.